I think Superman probably has a very good sense of humor. I never heard him say anything really funny. But it's common sense. He's got super strength, super speed. I'm sure he's got super humor. You're listening to Superman or Else, and this is episode number three, One Night in Gotham City. And welcome to Superman or Else, the podcast in which I'm talking about post-crisis Superman comics. I'm your host. My name is Steven. And so, yeah, uh, you want to talk about Superman? I mean, I hope so, because, you know, that's what this podcast is all about. I uh, would have thought that that was clear by now. Maybe not. I'm not here to judge, folks. Anyway, we take one step deeper into our post-crisis Superman reboot with Man of Steel, issue number three. This issue hit the stands on August 7th, 1986. It sold for just 75 cents. And the title of the story is One Night in Gotham City. It was written by John Byrne, penciled by John Byrne, inks by Dick Giordano, letters by John Costanza, and the colors were by Tom Zuko. Superman! Superman! Okay, so as we've done with the previous two episodes, we'll start with a synopsis. This particular synopsis comes from Mike's Amazing World of Comics at mikesamazingworld.com. And it goes a little something like this. Superman visits Gotham City and attempts to capture a new costume vigilante called Batman. Batman is prepared for the Man of Steel and utilizes a force field to keep his adversary at bay, explaining that if Superman pierces the field, a bomb will explode, killing an innocent person. Batman then convinces Superman to help him stop the Magpie, a female crook with a murderous love for jewels. After defeating the villain, Superman admits that Gotham City is different than Metropolis. He acknowledges that although he doesn't agree with Batman's methods, he knows that Batman is committed to stopping crime. The two heroes part ways, respecting each other, but not as friends. Okay, so... I love comic books. Okay, so this story takes place eight months after Superman made his debut upon the public scene, and it features our first post-crisis meeting between Superman and Batman, and it actually went on sale as the same day as Batman issue number 401, which also features Batman and Magpie. Now... I did a little research on Batman 401. I haven't read it in forever. I was going to read it before I started recording, but I decided not to. I read just far enough into it to learn that Batman 401, the events in that issue take place after Man of Steel number three. However, Batman 401 is listed as the first post-crisis appearance of Batman. Now, again, the events in Batman 401 take place after the events in Man of Steel number three. So as far as I'm concerned, Man of Steel number three is Batman's first post-crisis appearance. But because Batman 401 is a Batman title, that is what has been labeled as his first post-crisis appearance. And I guess I can get behind that, I suppose. But again, in my heart, it's Man of Steel number three, just simply because Man of Steel number three takes place before Batman 401. I mean, if they had released Batman 401 the following week, 
there would be no question. But because they were both released on the same day, you got to pick one. And of course, you're going to pick the Batman comic. And yeah, again, I get that. So the cover to this issue, will start there as we typically do. It features a scene from within the book. We see Magpie cowering in fear as, as Superman explodes through a wall coming at her. And then we have Batman on the cover as well. This issue's cover has the same dressing, I guess you would call it, as the as, as every one of the, the six Man of Steel covers with a scene from the issue on the left side and then a character on the right side, typically a character who is debuting in that issue. We open with a nine panel grid in Gotham City. There is a a man in a white t-shirt and green pants running through an alleyway. He's very scared and he is attacked by the Batman. I'm Batman. You sound like Cookie Monster. I'm Batman. That's Batman. The guy's name is Bull and he works for the Magpie. And Batman is just trying to get information on where we can find the Magpie. We can see that one of Bull's ears is very swollen. I, I, I don't remember what that's called, but boxer's ear or something. It's typically something you would see from someone who has spent a lot of time in a boxing ring. So we're going to assume that Bull, who is very muscly, is a current or ex-boxer. Give him a cauliflower ear. Holy! Batman basically tells him, he, he knocks him down into this garbage in an alley, and he tells him that he wants to know, well, they don't actually mention Magpie's name here. He just, he wants to know this information. He says that every second you waste my time here is a second in her favor and that eight people have died already. Bull, however, does not give him information. He throws garbage into Batman's face and runs away. And Batman is quite surprised by this. Remarkable, he says. He's actually more afraid of her than he is of me. Time he was taught the error of his ways. The only way one man can clean up this town is if all the lowlives stay good and scared. And that means dishing out a few object lessons once in a while. And by object lessons, we then learn in the next panel that he plans on breaking at least one of Bull's legs because he says, too bad for Bull. He's quite athletic in his own way. He's not going to like having to get around on crutches for. And then he's interrupted because he's speaking out loud as characters were known to do at this time in comics. You know, if this was a modern comic, if this was a comic that was released in the last, heck, 20 years, maybe even 25, eh, 20, 15, I don't know. Shut up. Shut up! If this was a modern comic, all of this that Batman is saying out loud would be text boxes. It would be like we're reading from Batman's journal, basically. But back then, the character either said it to themselves in a thought bubble or spoke it out loud. And in this case, Batman's saying it out loud as he swings away on a web line. I don't know why I said web line. That's what Spider-Man uses. Amazing Spider-Man, Ultimate Spider-Man, Spectacular Spider-Man, The Marvelous Adventures of Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2099. Shut up! Batman uses a batarang with a, a line coming off of it. But as he's swinging away and he's saying this out loud, he's interrupted because something grabs the line and starts pulling Batman into the sky. And we find out that it's Superman. Superman is there to apprehend Batman. And of course, Superman, who's very cocky at this point, very sure of himself, he just assumes that all he's going to have to do here is grab this rope and pull 
Batman along with him and, and drop him off at the police. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. But Batman, he he's basically gives Superman the big middle finger by just letting go of the line and dropping from the sky. Superman goes after him, thinking that Batman is going to be splattered all over the streets below and quickly finds that Batman is nowhere to be found. Superman is very confused about this because based on his research, he has learned that Batman does not have any superpowers. He says he's a superb athlete and an intuitive genius, but nothing that he has researched has given him any indication that Batman has flight powers or super speed or anything. Now, I want to say real quick that Superman, to me, in this issue, the fact that he has come to Gotham City to apprehend Batman, to me, Superman comes off as kind of a judgy, preachy jerk because, I mean, Batman's a vigilante, just like Superman is. Batman is not doing anything that Superman himself doesn't do. He goes after bad guys. He puts bad guys away. Superman just doesn't like the way Batman goes about his business. Obviously, he was going to break Bull's legs, so Batman is a man of violence. He he doesn't just apprehend people. He physically tortures them, I guess, to try to get information out of them, and Superman's not happy with that. It's not the way Superman would do it. So as far as Superman is concerned, he is the, the pillar of the superhero community or the, the, the costumed vigilante community, and it's up to him to decide how costumed heroes should act and what methods they should use. And so because of that, he's going to apprehend Batman and take him to the police, which again, I'm not a big fan of that. I'm always right. Kind of Superman character, the way he's, he's portrayed at times. If you've ever read kingdom come, which I recommend you do, he's very much that in kingdom come. And I think one of the interesting things about Kingdom Come is that you can read that and Superman can completely come off as a villain in that four issue series. Or you may agree with everything Superman has to say, which it just it kind of depends on your point of view when it comes to superheroes and the way that they should do things. And while I agree that Superman's way probably is the best way. That doesn't mean that it's the way that everyone should do it and that Superman has to be the one to police that and ensure that everyone is following the rules that he has decided are the best rules to use. And so by him coming to Gotham to snatch up Batman and take him to the police, I'm not a big fan of that because there are way more bad guys out there that Superman should be focused on over Batman. Now, again, granted, Superman just thought he'd be able to fly over to Gotham, grab up Batman and just drop him off at the police. For for him, that was that might be an hour out of his day. But still, I'm I'm not a big fan of that attitude from old Soupy Soups. But getting back to the issue, so Superman had grabbed onto Batman's rope, was pulling him along through the sky. Batman let go because he was not about to let Superman take him to prison or in this case, just the police. And Superman's very confused. He can't find Batman. He doesn't know what happened to him. It was his understanding that Batman didn't have superpowers, but then Batman calls out to him. He's standing on a rooftop and basically tells Superman that really all you need is brains and a knowledge of the city to be able to disappear like he does. And Superman immediately 
swoops toward Batman. He's getting ready to snatch him up and Batman tells him to stop. He says that he wants him to use his special vision powers to really look at Batman, to use his infrared vision. And Superman does so and he sees that there's a force field around Batman and Batman tells him that this force field works kind of like a metal detector that you would have at an airport, but it's specifically designed to detect super dense biological material, which in other words would be Superman. And uh, that's kind of a funny thing to say, because on the one hand, he's basically just saying, look, you're Superman. You are this uh, incredibly powerful super being and your biological makeup is super strong and super tough and super durable. So it's obviously just like a dense biological material that make up, you know, that makes up your body. But on the other hand, it sounds like a just a a huge insult by telling him that he's super dense because we've had at least twice now or at least once that Batman has commented on his intellect, his own brain power and whatnot. And then he uses the term super dense when he's speaking about Superman and I. I don't know. I don't know if that was meant to be kind of a a double definition there and, and if it was meant to be a little bit cheeky, but that's kind of the way I read it. Anyway. I may be as thick as a whale omelette, but even I know. <laughs> book's got to have a plot. If Superman were to reach out and grab Batman, he would pierce this force field and that would trigger uh, an explosion. There's a, a bomb that he tells Superman that has been planted on an innocent person somewhere in Gotham City. And if Superman invades Batman's personal space, then that bomb will explode, killing an innocent person. And Superman's not really happy about that. That's not the way Superman <laughs> would do things. And it kind of gives a bit more credence to the whole, this is why Superman is here. You know, he opposes the way that Batman operates and Batman is kind of just bearing down on this thing that he does that Superman doesn't like by telling Superman that if you interfere with what I'm trying to do and either leave me alone or help me do one of the two, if you, if, if you, you know, either don't interfere, well, don't interfere. That's the main thing, but either help me or leave or an innocent person's going to die. That's basically what he tells Superman. And that kind of, even though we find out by the end of the issue, we'll, we'll get to it, but it's not quite what it seems to be. It's still, you know, at this point, kind of, hammers that nail into the coffin of what Superman is on about when he wants to stop Batman. This is the kind of crazy psychotic things that, that he assumes Batman is up to all the time. So Batman then explains to him what he's working on this, this case that he's working on. He's after somebody called the magpie. And so he goes through a couple of recent crimes that the magpie has, has pulled to get Superman to understand just exactly what they're up against. And the first one, for example, is a jewelry store. It's on Donner Avenue, which if you're not aware, Richard Donner is the name of the guy that directed the 1978 Superman film. So there was a little nod there to Mr. Donner. But in this jewelry store, the, the jeweler shows up in the morning to open up his store. This was six days ago. And he finds that a lot of the jewelry from the display cases, not only is it missing, but it's been replaced by what Batman describes as an odd assortment of little metal trinkets. Now, John Byrne draws these this, this odd assortment of little metal trinkets 
to look like marbles. The coloring is is because it's kind of a a, a flashback scene. It's colored uh, in kind of a, a three tone blue with the figure of of the jeweler Henry Gerald, and then the the display case and these odd assortment of trinkets. They're they're kind of a two tone yellow gold. But the 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 trinkets they're they're marbles. They're straight up marbles. And if this was uh a situation where we had a writer and an artist, they were two separate people. I would look at that and go, okay, well, obviously the script or as far as what Batman would be saying at this point was not written at the time that the art was put together or vice versa or whatnot. And the artist didn't know that it was supposed to be an odd assortment of little metal trinkets and not a bunch of marbles, but it's the, this the same guy, the writer and the artist is the same guy. So I, I don't know if, if, uh, I don't know. I, I consider them to be marbles, but apparently they're little round metal balls of various sizes. The point here, though, is that as soon as this jeweler notices that his jewelry has been slop, swapped, slopity, slip, slop, swapped out, bibbidi, bip, bop, boop, wick, wick, wigga, wigga, wop, wop, whip. Let's start again. As soon as the jeweler realizes that his jewels have been swapped out for these little metal balls, he opens the case and reaches in to grab one of these little metal balls and it explodes there. They were set up their their explosives and they were set up to explode when they were touched. And the blast knocked out windows all down the street. That's how powerful this explosion was. And Batman says it took the coroner's men two days to find all the pieces of Henry Gerald. Now, he goes on to describe a few more cases where. Items were stolen, but they were swapped out with some other item that turns out to be deadly. One was a a diamond exchange where the Regency Emerald was swapped out for a poisonous gas bomb that killed three people. A place called Williker's Rare Stones and Gems. Gosh, golly, gee, Williker, zimity, jippity doo, Batman. Things were taken and swapped out with a gadget that squirted acid that killed two people and disfigured one. And a place called Tannenbaum's Antiques and Collectibles, where a priceless platinum chess set was swapped out with a steel chess set, basically. But the, the, the rook fired razor-edged blades that killed three people and hospitalized two. And, you know, he's telling Superman, this is not a petty crime that I'm investigating. There are multiple people have died at this point, and I had just found a dude, Bull who is a a hired muscle, basically. And he was going to, with a little persuasion from Batman and in the way of having the guy's legs broken, he doesn't mention that to Superman, but this guy was going to help him find Magpie. And it's at that point that we are introduced to Magpie, who is a totally 80s looking character. She's wearing a weird bodysuit with um, like a like a onesie with giant shoulder blades that come out of the shoulders and and what I would call bell-bottom sleeves. The the sleeves open up really wide at the ends and she's got a weird mohawk with with uh, hair that also comes out of the sides of her head like wings. And then she's got these big red pointy sunglasses on and fishnet stockings. I, I will say that there are a number of occasions, at least three, that John Byrne draws magpie uh, from the rear so we get uh, at least three fishnet stocking onesie ass shots in this book, which 
I have to assume is on purpose. Here's a little titillation for all you kids reading this book in the 80s. Here's a magpie's ass at least three times. She got a great ass. But we're introduced to magpie and she is confronting bull who has arrived at wherever it is there. They are their their hideout or whatnot. And, and uh, he's covered in garbage. He's got garbage stains on him. And she's really upset at him because she figures that even though bull didn't give up where she was, he got away. He escaped Batman. He didn't tell Batman where she was. She figures that this this would have been a good opportunity for him to mislead Batman. And he failed to cash in on that opportunity. And therefore, he's got to pay. And she kills him. She does so by sticking him in the face with a needle that paralyzes his face long enough for her to stick a, 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 a shove a stick of dynamite into his mouth and light it and set it to explode. Now, before this happens, though, she has a moment page 11 of the issue uh, where she at, at, at the very bottom of the page, she starts obsessing. She, she says uh, their next score is to hit a collection of Fabergé eggs that are, that are only going to be in Gotham city for another 12 hours. And she just starts kind of zoning out. And there's such pretty things, such pretty sparkling things. I must have them. I must have all the pretty shiny things must have. And then she, shakes herself out of her little cloud of of uh needing the shiny pretty my precious type of <laughs> type of things going on and i looked up the the whole idea of what a, a magpie which is a bird i knew that but i looked up uh the magpie bird and there are a number of different magpies around the world but According to Wikipedia, it says in european culture the magpie is reputed to collect shiny objects such as wedding rings and other valuables. A recent study conducted by Exeter University found that Eurasian magpies express neophobia when presented with unfamiliar objects and were less likely to approach or interact with the shiny objects, such as metal screws, foil rings, and aluminum foil, which they used in their experiments. However, magpies are naturally curious, like other members of the corvid family, and may collect shiny objects but do not favor shiny objects over dull ones. And so the idea here is that this character of the magpie, and we learn her, her real name by the end of the book, which is Margaret Pye, spelled P-Y-E. So they are clever. She's always had this unnatural obsession with shiny things. And kids used to call her magpie when she was a kid. And it's driven her to the point where she... And I'm giving away part of the ending, which not that I I wouldn't normally do, but I guess I'm skipping some stuff, but that's okay. She winds up going to school uh, to get a job as a curator at a museum. So she's around shiny objects all the time. And then she becomes this, you know, she creates this alter ego of the magpie. And uh, even the, the her hair that she has as the magpie, it's a wig. It's like a bald cap with a wig. Uh, mohawk and, and, and wings, hair wings stuck to the sides. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's who she is. Now, as she shoves this stick of dynamite into Bull's mouth and she's ready to light it, one of her other thugs is screaming out, Oh no, boss, not happy birthday, not happy birthday. So apparently she's done this before. We then switch over back to Superman and Batman on this rooftop and Batman is ex- he's still talking to Superman about the information he was trying to get from Bull. 
when Superman is suddenly distracted because he hears an explosion somewhere within the city, followed by the sound of a woman laughing. Batman realizes that that is the magpie that she has struck again, and he tells Superman, lead me to her. And so they go to the old Gotham Museum of Antiquities, which has been, according to Batman, derelict for years. And that's where they find Magpie and her thugs. Superman comes exploding through one of the walls. It's the exact scene that's on the cover of the issue. And immediately, Magpie has one of her men shoot at Superman. She says, blast him. Uh, She tells both of her thugs who are still there and alive to to blast him. But one of them is like, heck no. He just bursts through a freaking stone wall. I'm getting out of here. And he runs away while the other guy empties a pistol into Superman's chest and all the bullets bounce off and Superman grabs the gun from the dude and crumples it up in his mighty fist. And at the same time, Batman has apprehended the other thug. Magpie, however, has not been caught yet. And she reaches into her little bag of tricks and she pulls out a vial of some sort of liquid, drops it on the ground. It breaks open and this gas erupts out. It's an acid gas. and Magpie says, TTFN, Super Bats. And uh, just so you're aware, TTFN means ta-ta for now. Or see you later. Alligator is kind of what that means. Exit, stage left. But because of this gas that eats everything it touches, Superman is not able to go after Magpie. Batman is, but he doesn't for some reason. I'm not sure why. Maybe he's just super afraid of this gas. He's obviously not going to run into it. It's between him and Magpie, so he doesn't he, he can't immediately go after her, but he can he can let me get we'll get to that. Settle down. Shut up. So Superman does something that I think is completely awesome. It's one of the things that I love about Superman. He inhales this entire cloud of gas and then he flies out into space and blows the gas out into space, which According to Superman, the frigid vacuum of space freezes the ice into crystals immediately, and he can see using his microscopic vision that the freezing process has caused a chemical change within this now frozen gas, and the stuff is no longer dangerous or no longer a dangerous solvent, as he puts it. And then he rockets back to Earth because he basically just exhaled all of the oxygen from his lungs doing this. And while he can hold his breath for hours at a time, if, you know, if there's no oxygen in his lungs, that's not going to do him any good. So he, he flies back down to find that magpie has escaped for some reason. As I was trying to say earlier, even though at the moment that the gas erupts out of this vial, it's between Batman and magpie. Obviously he's not going to run through the cloud and even if he pulled like a little gas mask thing out of his utility belt, doesn't matter because it's a gas that eats through everything it touches. It's not just something that will kill you if you breathe it. But once Superman gets rid of the gas, I mean, I have to imagine that that only took a handful of seconds, 20, 30 seconds, not even a minute. It couldn't have taken that long for him to inhale all this gas. It may have, but still, that's not much of a lead time for Magpie to get away. Batman could have chased after her at that point. And Maybe he did. Maybe she was able to to duck him. But when Superman gets back to to, to the surface down to Gotham, he finds Batman uh, using his telescopic vision. Batman is is getting into a car 
and Superman thinks he's trying to get away, but Batman's like, no, shows uh, Superman that he has a mobile crime lab within the trunk of his car, and he's using that to check out a shard of glass from the, the gas vial that Magpie had used. And he learns using that that there is a, uh, a microscopic fiber attached to this shard of glass. Luckily, he grabbed the one shard of glass that had a microscopic fiber attached to it. Oh, you lucky bastard. And luckily, that microscopic fiber happens to be at least 5,000 years old. You lucky bastard. And luckily, there's only one place in all of Gotham City where she could have come into contact with fabric that was 5,000 years old or older. And so he tells Superman, follow me. And then he gets into his car. And I have to make note of the car because one of the things that they didn't seem to do from my memory, and really all I have to go by is a shitty memory and then this issue of Man of Steel. But when they rebooted everything post-crisis, they didn't give Superman a Batmobile. I'm Batman. That's Batman. Now, I don't know if he had the Batmobile before Crisis on Infinite Earths. I know he did throughout the the Silver Age and, and, and whatnot, but maybe he had gotten rid of it before Crisis. I don't know. But now he's just driving around in a very boring black two-door sedan. It's just your average looking car. It's not even a, a sports car. And I do remember when Jason Todd was introduced post-crisis, who was the second Robin. He is introduced when he steals the tires. He's stealing the tires from the Batmobile. And I'm fairly certain the Batmobile in that issue is just a boring two-door black sedan as well. So I find that really quite odd that they, well, I have to assume that at this point they're trying to really get away from this goofy Batman that came out of the Silver Age, you know, once the Batman TV show was a real big hit and Superman became really campy. And I'm Batman. That's Batman. And he became really goofy. And the, the Batmobile, maybe they thought that was kind of a goofy thing for him to have. And so they wanted him to, despite the fact that he dresses up as a giant bat, to have a more serious street level type vehicle. And so they gave him this dark black two-door sedan, which is really boring. Anyway, Batman leads Superman to the a museum in Gotham. They don't give it a name. They just refer to it as the museum, where based on records that they were able to find, uh, employee records of the museum, they discovered that there was a employee there working at the museum by the name of Margaret Pye. Superman pulls her wig off of her to reveal that that's who she is. And she freaks out and has a, I guess, a psychotic moment as Superman is basically playing keep away with her wig. He's holding it up above his head so she can't reach it. And she's going, give it to me. Give it to me. It's not yours. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. You can't have it. The pretty things can't have the pretty, pretty. And then she collapses into this sad, sad crying woman on the, on the ground. And, and Superman is kind of thrown back. He's kind of taken aback by this reaction because he's never really encountered this when it comes to a villain, I guess, in his eight months as Superman in Metropolis, because the criminals in Metropolis don't really act like this. They must be more straightforward. We're going to do villainous stuff because we're just bad guys trying to get by in life and we need to 
earn a little scratch and we're not willing to work a nine to five. And whereas here in Gotham, his criminals are more psychotic. They have different motives for committing their crimes, as we, of course, will see when the Joker makes his his appearance. But Superman then realizes that Gotham obviously is a different town than Metropolis, not just geographically. Thank you, Captain Obvious. But because the criminal element is much different than it is in Metropolis, that he kind of understands why Batman has to do what he has to do, because he's dealing with a different level of criminal activity. And so and so he tells Batman, that's why you act outside the law. I don't like vigilantes, Batman, even though I've been called one myself. But there is a job that needs doing here in Gotham, and you seem well suited to the task of doing it. Batman then kind of leaves him. He's like, whatever, I've got to go sleep. I haven't slept in four days. <laughs> and uh, Superman doesn't quite let him go at this point. Uh, one more thing, Mr. Batman. And Batman's like, oh, yeah, my bomb. And he reaches into his utility belt and pulls out a little bomb. And he says, here it is. It was tucked inside my utility belt the entire time. That's right. I was the innocent person that was going to die if you invaded my personal space. And Superman is quite shocked by this, that Batman would risk his life that way. But as Batman explains to him that based on his research, he figures that with the great powers that Superman has, he might be able to detect if Batman is lying or not. And Batman would never put an actual just random innocent citizen from Gotham. He would never put them at risk like that. He would never plant a bomb on a freaking teacher uptown or something, you know? So the only person whose life he would be willing to risk would be his own. And if he didn't plant a bomb on somebody and yet told Superman that he planted a bomb, Superman would be able to tell that he was lying. So he had to be able to tell the truth and therefore planted the bomb on himself. And thus, Superman flies away saying, well, I still won't say I fully approve of your methods, Batman, but I'm going to be keeping an eye on you to make certain you don't blow it for the rest of us. But good luck. <laughs> flies away. Batman says to him, the same to you, Superman, which I don't know if what, what I like to infer from that is he's not saying same to you. Good luck, Superman. He's saying, I'm going to also keep my eye on you to make certain you don't blow it. Because in Batman's mind, I'm sure he's thinking, here's a super powerful weapon of mass destruction that if he decided to turn evil, they'd have to work pretty hard to stop him. So Batman is going to keep his eye on Superman. I want to say real quick that I keep correcting myself. You're not hearing a lot of this because I will be editing it out. But I keep finding myself saying Batman when I mean to say Superman. And I keep saying Superman when I mean to say Batman. And realizing that I've done that now at least a dozen times and that I'm going to spend a lot of time editing at the end of this, uh, I'm wondering how many times I didn't notice that I have swapped those out. And it'll be interesting to go back and, and, and see if, if I missed any. Because once I notice, of course, I then correct myself and I say it the correct way and we'll edit out the bad stuff. But there may be instances when I say Superman when I mean Batman or Batman when I mean Superman, and I didn't realize I was doing that. That happens to me a lot because I'm old and my brain is becoming feeble. Anyway, the very last panel on this issue, after Superman flies away, Batman's looking up at him and he's thinking to himself, a remarkable man, all things considered. Who knows? In a different reality, I might have called him 
girlfriend, which is a callback to pre-crisis because they were best buds by the time Crisis on Infinite Earths hit. And now that it's the, the, the whole continuity has been rebooted, they're perfect strangers until this issue. So they'll become friends. Don't worry. It'll eventually happen. He and Superman and Wonder Woman become the Trinity, the three, the big three in the DCU. But at this point, there's a begrudging respect between the two of them. I, uh, I found this issue quite fun going back over it again. There were moments that I just shake my head at, you know, this, I, I I've said it obviously before in the previous two issues, this is my Superman. This was my introduction to who Superman in the comics was. I had obviously been watching the super friends for many years before reading these comics. But as far as Superman in comic book form, this is my introduction. And I've always thought very fondly of this time frame, especially this six issue mini. Mirny. See, that's my my feeble brain. Actually, it's my rapidly moving brain that my tongue cannot stay caught up to. And therefore I am saying one word while I'm thinking of another word I'm going to be saying 16 words later, and they both kind of merge together. That's how that happens. Anyway, uh, God, what was I, what was I? <laughs> What was I even saying? I don't remember. Oh, I remember this mini fondly, but going back through it, I'm finding a lot of stuff about it that just makes me shake my head. I just don't understand a lot of stuff. I, I, well, for example, the whole Superman coming after Batman. And and at one point here at the end, he says that he doesn't approve of vigilantes, even though he has been called one himself. And what else would you call him? He's a vigilante. The definition of vigilante is a member of a volunteer committee organized to suppress and punish crime, or as it continues, a more broad definition is a self-appointed doer of justice. That is what Superman is. And for Superman to stand there and act like he is better than Batman because he considers himself being above the definition of a vigilante. I don't like that Superman. That is a righteous dick who has just decided he's he he he's better than everybody. He has higher moral fiber and thus he's going to decide how everybody else does things uh because he knows what's right. And yes, in general he does know what's right, but that doesn't mean that gives him the right to force other people to do it his way. And it doesn't endear him to me as someone who looks down upon other costume vigilantes such as Batman, because he doesn't, he doesn't consider himself a vigilante. He considers himself above all that. He is a, he's a higher power and thus he is removed from such pedestrian definitions. That's, that's not a Superman I can get behind. And that obviously that, that aspect of his character comes out in this issue. I don't know that I, or that we have seen that yet or at all in those first two issues. I know we had that moment where in the previous issue where Superman goes to uh, take out the, the, the group of criminals who were holding a bunch of people in a store hostage and the cops didn't want him to, to get involved. And he just basically ignores them and tells them to just, just, Stand back and let me do my job. He didn't try to convince them. 
that he should be the one to handle this. He just does it. And I, that's for some reason, I appreciate that about him. But this whole standing above in judgment over Batman aspect of him, I just, I don't like that part of his character. And while I enjoyed this issue, it, it has to rank a bit lower than the first two so far because of the way the character of Superman is written in this issue. And, and, you know, I said it before as we started these episodes that, of course, this is where I was introduced to Superman, but I didn't get that far into the John Byrne run before I stopped reading Superman and comic books altogether and didn't get back into Superman until the whole death of Superman arc. So I'll be interested to see how much this might pop up, this attitude of his, this holier than thou attitude of his pops up between here and Death of Superman, because I don't remember getting much of that from Death of Superman. He's very confident in what he does, of course. He knows what he does is the right thing, but I feel like there are times that he does question himself. But in this issue, at least, he's very much, what I do is right, and I don't think what you do is right, Batman. I do it right, you do it wrong, I've come to put a stop to it. And after one little adventure, he's like, well, maybe you have to do it the way you do it because you deal with a different breed of criminal than I do. So I'm going to allow it. You know, I'll allow you to do what you're doing, but I'm going to keep an eye on you because I don't want you to make the rest of us, i.e. me, Superman. I don't want you to make us look bad. But that was Man of Steel number three, folks. What'd you think? Did you enjoy it? What's your thoughts on this whole holier than now righteous judgmental Superman that I'm talking about from this issue? Did you get that? Do you get it now? Do you completely dismiss my line of thought there? Let me know. Email me at Stephen or else at gmail.com. That will be in the show notes because I do spell my name kind of weird. So you will want to look at that in the show notes if you plan on emailing me. Other than that, folks, that's the episode. Join me back here next time as I will be looking at Man of Steel number four, which is called Enemy Mine. And just like this issue, uh, Man of Steel number four was also published in August of 1986. They were releasing these every two weeks at this point. So, yeah, that's what we're going to talk about as Steven struggles with his transition to end this episode. Until then, folks, until we come back together next time on Superman or else, try not to look up into the sky too much. Otherwise, you may trip over stuff or walk into traffic or walk off a cliff or something. That is equally horrible. Bye. Superman or Else is a Stephen or Else production in association with the Superman Super Show. Questions and comments can be directed to the Superman Super Show at gmail.com. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month over at my Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Stephen R. Or, and in return, I'm going to do my very best to get you and your fellow patrons episodes just like this one before anyone else. I also encourage you to rate the show wherever available and share this podcast with a friend. Superman is published by DC Comics and was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. You're listening to Superman or Else. You're listening to Superman or Else, and this is Baba Poopy Doop. Hello and welcome to Superman or Else, the podcast in which I'm talking about post-crisis stuff. Why did I say it like that? I'm 
I'm talking about it, not you. It's me. I'm the one talking about it. <laughs> Idiot. Hello and welcome to Superman or Else, the podcast in which I'm talking about post-crisis Superman comics, one at a time. <clears throat> Hello and welcome to Superman or Else, the podcast in which I'm talking about post-crisis Superman. Boop-a-da-boop-poop. I'm not taking a big enough breath there. I'm going to have to try this one more time, okay? <clears throat> Here we go. It mean poopage. Poochie poochie poop poop chee chee bong bong chicka chicka boom 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 boom. Poop face. I just called my daughter poop face because she walked in while I was recording. She's just trying to live her life and yet I called her poop face. I'm a bad parent and not bad like bad bad Leroy Brown. I'm just I'm not a good person. Anyway, back to the podcast. He opens the decay. The decay. Let me, uh, let me, let me take a drink. Ah, yeah. So I had my little costume. I was physically ready. I was preparing myself. I did not try on the costume prior to Halloween. Do you remember this? This is an obscure one, but on the side of the box, I remember this on my Superman costume. It actually said, do not attempt to fly. <laughs> they printed that as a warning. Because kids were putting it on and going off the roof. You know. I love the idea of the kid who's stupid enough to think he actually is Superman, but smart enough to check that box before he goes off the roof. <laughs>